excited excited for the French. Always always a good time. Yeah, I'm usually so all about the clay season, but it's been hard to be engaged this this time, just with the baby. It used to be perfect for me. It's like starts at 8 p.m. or something, and you can watch a few hours before you go to bed, but not anymore. I'm basically asleep by then. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. So yeah. We bed at 8.30 and it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here I find, like, it's like, it's, it'll start at, like, 5 a.m., and I'm like, okay, i got to get out of bed start watching you know like, <laughs> yeah. like i can't yeah. get up for work like that but you know for uh for the tennis for yeah, you're up. yeah, yeah. For a couple weeks a year you know i started watching uh mcenroe versus mcenroe uh sponsored by yeah. nickel light last night one of the dumbest things i've ever seen in my life i mean it was really like i felt like i was dropping iq points so i had to shut it off after mcenroe like current John McEnroe defeated 1982 John McEnroe or something. It's it's like the weirdest schlockiest thing. And I don't know. This is the thing about American tennis fandom, or at least like American tennis like coverage on ESPN. They're just like, well, no, it's like nobody's come along since McEnroe that anybody cares about on the men's side, <laughs> which is obviously not true. There was Agassi and. Sampras and you know I mean and there's all these good players now but like they just live in the past and it's it's very strange and the whole thing is just like this weird spectacle where they created these like really crappy 3D models and there's like some robots behind the net so like McEnroe is playing against nobody but there's like this fog and then there's a bunch of robots back there so depending on where he hits it like a robot will shoot a ball at him like in the style of younger McEnroe. So were there a whole bunch of launch points across the baseline for balls? So depending on where McEnroe hit it in the court, a, a ball would launch from that area. Was that how it was working? Yeah, basic, basically. But, you know, like they, they really heavily edited the points. So yeah, half right. the time it kind of seemed like this was not really working and they kind of had to stitch it together and you know and like sometimes like the robot would like hit this really dinky short ball and you're just like that's not that's not john McEnroe in 1980 yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah and did, did the did the robot ever come forward to the net <laughs> <laughs> right they didn't simulate that at all so yeah no that's McEnroe. and that's yeah. that's McEnroe's game like Obviously, young McEnroe would take old McEnroe to task 100% yeah. of the time. Yeah, yeah. Be a question. that's so funny. Anyway. It's so bizarre that they put so much time and effort and money into that. Like, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all sponsored by Michelob Light. Do you, you oh, guys yeah, have yeah. Michelob there? You know what Michelob no, is? No, but I Jimmy Butler seems to be sponsored by them, so he's always <laughs> drinking them in his Instagram stories, which I follow. So I've, that's the only the only reason I know about them is through Jimmy Butler, to be honest. <laughs> right. That's funny. Yeah, I knew you were a Jimmy Butler fan, uh, so you've been following yeah. the Heat. I've been, I've been following yeah. the NBA as well. Yeah. Yeah, but it seems like they're going to get pumped by the Celtics. I think. <laughs> I think. Well, it seemed totally different after Game One. I mean, game two was... Yeah, I know. Like, I don't know. When they had Marcus Smart back, it was all different. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But these are, you know, these are series of adjustments. I mean, Jimmy Butler looked like like peak LeBron James or something in game one. He was outrageous, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. I hope, I hope, they, I hope they get there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because fuck Boston, by the way. Is that, is that like a... Is that, you know, there's some teams that are just always hated. Is, are they one of them? I don't really know. Oh, yeah. For a Knicks fan, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. But okay. um, there's this show on HBO right now, Winning Time. Have you uh, have you heard of this? It's like a docudrama. Yeah, it's on a streaming service that I don't have yet. But one of them, what, like the first episode, it's like a the streaming service is like a brother's service to this sporting one that I have, KO. And okay, so I yeah. think to tempt to tempt people over to subscribing to their brother service, they've let. KO have the first episode so but I haven't watched it but the first episode is there but I'm gonna but I feel like I'm gonna watch it I'm gonna want to watch the whole thing and then I'm gonna be like ah stuck after the first episode so yeah but is it good yeah it's really good it's uh it's pretty fun like you know they, they, 
one of the side stories is that basically everybody, all the real world people who are represented in the show, you know, it's about the 1980s Lakers dynasty, starting with the drafting of Magic Johnson and like Jerry West, you know who Jerry West is, he's the NBA logo, he was like running the team, the Lakers back in the day and uh, they kind of... I knew, I knew, because I've I've looked up the the lo- like the logo thing, and I saw that he was a player, and I've seen the picture that they took the logo from. But I didn't know that then he transitioned into being like the an owner of or running the Lakers or whatever. I didn't actually realize that. So there you go. Yeah, he was like he was the coach in the late '70s, and he gave up the team right before, like the team got sold to this guy Jerry Buss, and so the. Jerry Buzz taking ownership of the team, plus drafting Magic Johnson were kind of big changes that, you know, altered the course of history for the franchise. But Jerry West was still involved in the front office, and I think later he was the GM, and he's, he's been working in front offices around the league since. But anyway, the, sh- the show portrays him as, like, this raging lunatic in the first couple of episodes. Like, he's just got, like, total anger management issues and is, like, throwing shit through glass windows and like the real world Jerry West like is like I'm taking this to the Supreme Court like I oh, <laughs> like no he's, way. he's like suing HBO for defamation so oh um, wow so yeah it's but the thing is it's if you watch the whole thing you kind of end up rooting for Jerry West in the end like his character is pretty strong and the whole thing is like a cartoon you know like they're exaggerating yeah. everything like that's yeah. that's sort of the style of it but you know the real the real stories are not quite as dramatic so um, but yeah it's really good fun you should check it out and lakers fans also hate boston and the way they portray okay. uh, larry, larry bird is so funny they make him like this like total redneck psychopath like <laughs> <laughs> you know my my dad and i hated larry bird in the 80s so yeah good stuff that's so funny okay that's good it's good to know the, the dynamic there because yeah i don't know i know there's you know there's always in every sport there's always teams that like hate each other's teams no matter who plays for them or who runs them or whatever it's always going to be like that but I don't really know those dynamics in uh, in the NBA in America right. so it's good to, good to yeah yeah I, you know it's funny because I like I basically hate every team in the Eastern Conference like because they've all beaten the Knicks at some point yeah you know? like <laughs> And I, but I've made exceptions. Like I like the Celtics when they had Garnett, and I like the Heat when they had LeBron. Begrudgingly, it took me a year, but I was like, <laughs> I just like LeBron too much. Um, but yeah, it's like I always root for the West teams. Everyone in California seems to hate the Clippers. I think generally, <laughs> is that a thing or no? I don't know. Well, they're a really unlikable team all of a sudden. But they used to be the underdogs, you know. And it's, okay. it's weird how that happened. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is but i mean people hate the lakers the same way they hate like the yankees you know it's like they that's just true. want too much you know it's yeah like, that's true so to see them stumble is like yeah everyone's like yeah <laughs> yeah some serious schadenfreude uh yeah at play there um but anyway uh jimmy butler's guy sasha zverev doesn't have really a very good draw um as it turns out although i I think of the four guys in that section who seem to be destined to meet, I think he's probably the least likely to get get to the quarters. So anyway, let's let's get into the draw. Yeah, yeah. It's a draw show. That one half of the draw is super stacked. You got Novak, Alcaraz, and Rafa all in the <laughs> same section. So uh, what, what's your take? What do you, who do you think's coming out there? I think in the in the top half, it's gonna end up being Nadal, Djokovic quarter quarterfinal. For I do sure. think that that's going to happen. Yeah, I would love Vorinka to give Nadal a good match. I, but I, I was listening to the tennis podcast, and they were like, "Just don't even get your hopes up about that." It's it's the <laughs> most one of the most one sided head to heads in in the history of tennis. Like it's just just even though they're both great players, somehow that matchup is just rubbish for Vorinka. So I'm a yeah. bit sad about that. Yeah, well, um, the, one of the times Wawrinka did beat him was in a, the Australian Open final, but it was because Rafa was hurt, really. And mm. Rafa, I mean, the foot is a big issue here, you know? Like, he had to, he had to pull out of, uh, out of Rome, and yeah, it's, um, it's not clear. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't count him out, you know, just based on that. Like, he's fucking Rafa. Yeah, I didn't see that Shapovalov match that they played that he, he lost recently where he apparently looked super in pain and really uncomfortable um which he usually tries to hide on court 
but at this time it seems yeah. like he was just like he was in so much pain that he just couldn't couldn't mask it anymore so that's a bit worrying um there he's done a practice on on philip chatria and apparently he looked pretty good and he was in good spirits so yeah i you can never as soon as he gets to paris it seems like it's like everything just resets for rafa and he turns into a machine again so yeah yeah i yeah. i just have a feeling like it's it's funny because it's like maybe the foot would be an issue early, but it's like these guys aren't gonna like threaten him. Jordan Thompson in the first round, I mean, come <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> like I think it's like maybe Jordan Thompson will win three games. You know, yeah. I, I bet yeah, the over unders like around there. Actually, Jordan Thompson won six games. Um, and I have <laughs> I have Mut- I have Mutet beating Stan. Like I I saw Stan play. I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks ago, and he just he's just not there yet. And like yeah. I feel like Mutet is like one of those scrappy clay court friendly players who's probably gonna hang in there and give give uh Stan Especially, trouble. you know, in France. Yeah, he's gonna have the crowd behind him, like Yeah. But uh but I don't know. I mean, you know, Stan is great. It's exciting he's back because he hadn't played in like I don't know, a year and a half or something. He was out so for a long. long. Yeah. yeah, when it first happened, I was like, Oh, okay, he'll be out for a couple of months or whatever. And then he's just been gone. I was like, oh, damn, I really like Stan. I hope he comes back. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I follow him on Instagram and his stories. He's been on the recovery path for a long time, like in the gym. <laughs> There's been stories of him in the gym recovering for a really long time. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like he just dropped off the radar forever and then has just started building back up. He's like in, been in rehab, serious rehab, like for for a big chunk of that time, which has been pretty impressive, you know. To put that much effort to come back at that stage of your career is is pretty impressive. Yep. Yeah. I hope he uh hope he keeps it going, stays healthy, has has some more good good matches in him. Um but yeah, I don't think don't think it's gonna happen against Rafa. No. But uh so who do you have in, in Novak Rafa? What do you think in the quarters? We're gonna get it in the quarters, potentially. I do think that that's going to happen. I'm just scrolling through that the, that half that quarter of the draw now, and I'm I do think that that's on track to happen. And then if it does happen, I am taking Novak, not just because I'm a Novak fan, but it just feels like Novak's come back and he was being shaky in his first few matches, but it feels like he's quickly ramping up, like really oh, yeah. strongly ramping up. And Nadal is like he's he seems to be ramping up as well, but two of these injuries like the cracked rib and the foot it feels like he's fighting to ramp up whereas Novak is like really healthily strongly ramping up so I I think the I think the further the tournament goes on Novak's going to get better and the further the tournament goes on Nadal's going to wear down like he's going to build up like his tennis is going to build up but health-wise I think he's going to be wearing down whereas Novak's going to be getting stronger sort of i think yeah i think that's that's definitely possible i mean i guess all things considered i would like rafa to be healthy for that match and i want oh, yeah. novak to beat him healthy you know even last year rafa totally. was kind of complaining about something afterwards like you know i mean rafa doesn't make excuses but he kind of was and i think i totally agree about novak like he looked super shaky early it didn't look like his fitness was there and then it's just like he beat Tsitsipas in the final in Rome, uh, you know, six love in the first set. And then Tsitsipas had a lead in the second and couldn't hold it. Like he is just, he's just right there. And that the match that he lost to Alcaraz was a real like, you know, nail biter. I mean, that match was so close throughout, you know, and it was like, I think actually Alcaraz had a lot of opportunities to break and Novak like kept fighting him off and kept fighting him off. But you could just tell that that, that Novak edge was kind of present in a way that it hadn't been. And uh, yeah, I think he's, I mean, he's got maybe the toughest draw, right? Because he's going to have to get through Rafa and then potentially Alcaraz. Yeah. And then, you know, in the final, I mean, you know, maybe like I don't I don't have the belief in Pass that I want to have because obviously he's my guy and I want to believe. And I definitely think he can win this tournament someday. But he hasn't looked like he hasn't looked convincing, you know, like I just feel like something's a little bit off, like he hasn't really taken that step forward 
Um, mm. Even though he won Monte Carlo, and you know he's he's had really, I mean, he's had probably the best clay court season of it, of almost anybody. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I do agree. I th- it feels like he's plateaued, but he's, I mean, he's plateaued at 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 an incredibly high level. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, it's a it's an amazing place to plateau, like third or fourth or whatever in the world. But he seems to have plateaued, and he's just it's just like that last little step that he can't like he hasn't been able to so apparently after that final that he lost to Djokovic he went and got a court straight after and started practice practice, practicing his serve (laughs) which is which is kind of insane like great and impressive but it's just like it sort of tells you that he's not feeling great about his game if after a final of a Masters 1000 if you go oh I need to get back on court and keep going because this is not right like that's not great (laughs) Yeah, I think it is largely mental with him. It was he was mm. asked about Alcaraz in press recently, and he's you know he had some kind of diplomatic answer where he's like, yeah, you know, he's just he's amazing, he's so good for the support. But like, I, you know, he he what Tsitsipas said that was really striking to me is like he reminds me of myself when I was young, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> when I was like when I was carefree, like more carefree, you know, and yeah, I don't really remember Steph ever being that relaxed i mean he certainly wasn't that dominant i mean like at that age i mean nobody was like like novak had a losing record at alcaraz's age or something it's it's absurd but like you know well it's funny for a few reasons i mean cc pass is 23 years old so like you know him talking about yeah yeah yeah. you're still a child yeah (laughs) yeah he's still a child but he's somebody who like carries the losses and like really feels so deeply you know the weight of everything and he wants to win for greece so badly and it's just (laughs) tearing him up and he's not he's not like a freewheeling like fun loving player right now and alcaraz is you know so i do wonder if like on the flip side of that if someday you know Alcaraz is going to take some tough losses, right? You know, that's the thing he hasn't really had to deal with yet. I mean, that's true. That's true. Know? I wonder how he's going to deal with that, like losing a, a tight final in a big in a big tournament or something like that. Um, yeah, has he done that? Has he has he lost in a really big match in a big in a big tournament? I don't, I don't, well, what I has he won? It. He's won like four tournaments this year. Yeah. I mean, he's lost. He lost to um, Berrettini in the fifth set tie break at the Australian Open. Mm. But then he hasn't lost much since. He lost to Rafa once. What happened at the US Open again? Do you remember? Uh, he beat Tsitsipas. He ended up retiring in the quarterfinals. He was uh, supposed to play yeah. Felix. That's and he right. was hurt. So that's that's another thing we don't know about him is like how he's going to hold up. You know, he, mm. he pulled out of... Uh, Rome. Like after winning Madrid, he pulled out of Rome. And... Mm. You know, people were like, oh, yeah, that's really smart. He should rest up. But he did claim to have an injury. And I don't know. He's, what, 19 years old? Like, he could play all the tournaments. Like, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So we'll see. You know, there's a possibility he won't he won't be totally fresh. And, you know, he he's going to have to get through. I mean, his, his draw isn't, like, total cakewalk. There's some guys who could threaten him. Uh it's hard to see. Like I'm trying to. Yeah, Cord is one. Cord is the only guy who beat him on clay this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that could so be really interesting. Be, yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, I feel like Nori could get there, but I don't know. Before yeah. then, this sort of like quarter and Nori, and other than that, I just feel like it's Alcaraz's to lose that quarter or that section. Yeah, unless Dominic Team is suddenly back, but I <laughs> yeah. don't believe it. Uh, yeah, nobody believes that guy no yeah, not even him. he just he just fell off i think i mean nori played alcaraz pretty tight like took him to three sets um mm. in one of the clay court tournaments running up so and then yeah and then maybe uh like davidovich fakina uh oh, yeah true where's he yeah he's he's my pick to take out zverev in the third round um yeah which I admittedly is a tough draw for Foki, but I, I could see him doing that and getting to a quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see him coming out of that section for sure, actually. Davidovich Fikina. Mm. Yeah, yeah, getting to the quarter. I think that's, he's got a but, real um, chance. But Sitsipas' first match is tricky against Musetti. Yes, I noticed that. Let's go to the other half of the men's draw. Yeah, like that's actually one of the tougher first round matches. Yeah. And I think Steph has beaten him the two times they've played, but like Musetti 
Massetti's tough on Clay. I mean, he... Yeah. He, but then again, he also seemed to have disappeared. Like, I feel like he came out, like he played well in Monte Carlo or something, and then he kind of went away, and I don't really yeah. know what happened to him. So That's true. I wasn't following, but that's right. He did have a great Monte Carlo, and then, like I said, I haven't really been following this Clay season that closely, so I don't know. I haven't really... Yeah, but he, he hasn't really done much since then, has he? I don't think. I don't, I don't think so. So I, I'd still, like... I feel like that could go to five and like yeah. everybody gets nervous, but then then who's going to really threaten Steph afterwards? I mean, it's funny because the same thing happened last year where Casper uh, Ruud was like the guy. It was like, yeah, well, Tsitsipas has a straight shot to the final, but it could be tricky with Casper Ruud there, but then Ruud didn't make it. Um, I think Ruud will make, I think Ruud and Tsitsipas in the quarter uh, yeah. is, is pretty likely. I don't see... Yeah. Shepovalov or Demonor beating him. Um, that could be an interesting third rounder, Shabo Demonor. Yeah, that could be good. Shepovalov's first round match isn't a cakewalk either, to be honest, against Rune. Yeah, that's that's a real upset potential right there. And class, that would be classically Shapo to lose that match. You know, like totally. I feel like he does not start these tournaments strong. If he can kind of get his <laughs> teeth into them, like sometimes he'll go on a run. But um, yeah, Rune has been has been looking legit. Um, mm. I probably didn't. So when I went to Indian Wells, I went and saw Rune. Uh, mm. He was playing uh, Davi Goffin. Actually, it was Hugo Umber. And oh, yeah. this guy behind us in the stands, like he was doing this thing where he was just like constantly loudly talking about how great Rune was and how he was like how like Roger Federer wasn't that good at his age and like oh you know God. just like going on and it was like it I think it ruined Rune for, <laughs> for some of us forever yeah um that happens I can imagine that being ruined by by that by someone just constantly talking about their praises so much when it's like a bit of a stretch in the first place but they're just relentless about it and you're like all right mate come on he's not that great like <laughs> yeah well but it, it, it made me wonder I was like maybe there's some I mean like he does seem like a good player but like I mean is he is he the next Alcaraz Rune like no no no, no, no I don't think no so way. no yeah he likes. He thinks he is. He's really mm. cocky and like to the point of arrogance. He just, you know, he thinks he thinks he's a top ten player right now already in his head. He's a top ten player, but you know, and that's the you know, mentality that you got to have to get to the top or whatever. But he hasn't backed it up. He's like had a couple of good wins here and there, but that's it. Like there's nothing else to speak of other than other than a, a couple of like top <laughs> fifty defeat like wins or something like that and it's just like all right come on mate like win a couple good tournaments and then you can start talking this sort of nonsense (laughs) yeah he did he won a tournament though this year and he beats vera so so those are like which one did he win that's right that's right yeah i can't i can't remember i think it must have been a 250 oh he just lost in the semi-final in uh in leon to uh cam nori so that's a pretty good run that's pretty good run i think he's he's getting better for sure Oh, he won the Bavarian International uh, in a walkover over Van der Zanschulp. So that's uh, okay. <laughs> he. Uh, that's the tournament he beats Verev and uh, he beat okay. Rusevori and Atta. Yeah. Anyway, we've spent enough time on Holger Vitus. I'm missing a name. Something Rune. Yeah, there's another one. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> Nodskov. Um, so who else in this, in this part of the draw? I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think both the men and women's draws are like really top heavy. Yeah. Super lopsided. Mm. Like one half is like, um, totally stacked. Although on the women's side, not to jump the gun, but like you have Shriantek who's just beaten everybody for three months all by herself. Like her part of the draw is almost empty. I mean, she might have Halep, you know? And and then everybody else is on the other side. Um, it's crazy. And then, it's so yeah. the, the women's one especially is wild. <laughs> yeah, I, I I filled out the half of the draw with Shriantek in it, and I'm like, who are these people? Like, there's somebody yeah. named Tessa Andrian. <laughs> I can't get through this. Andrian Jafitruma. She's huh. French. She's a French wild card. I picked her to beat Karolina Pliskova in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> just because I like her name, Andrian Jaf- Jafitrima. I'll have to work on it. It's so funny. 
she really tells you where Plushkiva's at. It's basically just like you, you <laughs> see a Plushkiva yeah. match and you're like, I'll take the opponent over her, whoever the opponent <laughs> <Right>. is. <laughs> yeah. If the opponent's a professional. I yeah, mean, that's right. <laughs> I, I think she's got a pretty good chance. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Poor Carolina. I mean, didn't wasn't she just like, did she make a slam final this year? Wasn't that the body? Who's in the body Wimbledon final with her? Body at Wimbledon was not Pliskova. Oh, no. that's right. It was Pliskova, and Pliskova played yeah. really well, but lost. I think yeah. that's right. We got to get Davy Davy Gravy on the case. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Barty beat Pliskova, so I mean, she's definitely like a grass court player. But speaking of Wimbledon, <laughs> speaking of Wimbledon, yeah, what about it? They take the points away. Does that has that happened? Yeah, it's official now. Happened this morning, our time. Yeah, so it's just. It's still the tournament with the prize money and the and the winning Wimbledon and everything, but there's just no <laughs> um, no points. But the the big one of the big repercussions of that, apart from obviously the discrimination against people from certain countries, is that after Wimbledon ticks over, all Wimbledon points drop off, and and so no one's been able to defend their points. So all of those, everyone who's done well in Wimbledon and hasn't been able to defend those points is yeah. just going to lose thousands of points, right? And so right. means Djokovic loses 2,000 points. It means, you know... Berrettini. The people who, yeah, yeah, Berrettini lose 1,500 points or whatever. So then Medvedev probably becomes number one and then it, it just shakes the rankings uh... massively. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about the fact that it could help Medvedev. Um, yeah. It is, I mean, I don't blame the ATP and WTA for doing it. I mean, I, I has there been any talk of Wimbledon going back on that decision? Because it's just a terrible call. It's just a bad call. Yeah. yeah. Full stop. Yeah. It doesn't, it, the only people it hurts are everybody. And it, <laughs> like, you know, like it hurts, it hurts their own tournaments. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, is it really making the statement that they want to make? You know, like you're already taking the flags down and, you know, there's a bit, there's a, there's a way to kind of make the public statement, but it's like, I don't know, letting Andre Rublev play at the All England Club, you know, isn't going to start World War III. I, I just don't, yeah. I don't, I don't really get the logic. Yeah. It seems to be one of the main things seems to be this, this fear that, Russia will would use the victory of Russian players as some sort of propaganda of like positivity. Like uh, right. a Russian players doing well, they would spin that in in a way that. But I I don't really understand it. There's some there's some kind of fear that you yeah that you don't you don't want to give them an opportunity to use these victories as part of their cause or propaganda or like something i this i don't know i don't really understand that fear but that seems to be there yeah i think it's just kind of backwards logic i think they you know they want to make a powerful statement and like it definitely got a lot of attention in corners of the news but like i just don't see it really making a difference and it just yeah it just creates a bunch of well i think i think fundamentally it's also wrong because you're you're basically holding citizens of a nation accountable for the the uh, the political classes decisions and mm. i don't think that's generally fair like i don't think you know like you know it's like a, as an american traveling during like the george bush years you know like sometimes you meet people be like america right yeah george bush fuck you you know mm. like they just like mm. and you, you just like get that inherent sense of unfairness like hey i didn't vote for him like i didn't yeah. like i don't support like the war in the middle east like why would you hold me to account for that? And then on the flip side, you know, Obama wins the presidency. And everybody's like, oh, America's the great, you know, like, it, mm. but it's all just twisted through this lens. And I think individuals just should be treated as individuals. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and like, I don't know. Like, I think, you know, I think I could get to a place where I'm like, they shouldn't even have the flags for any nation. Like, just let the players play for themselves. I, I still don't understand why they have flags or why anyone is tied to the, a nation to represent in tennis, which is an individual sport. No one 
a lot of people don't really live in the country they represent. They travel the world all year. It's not like they're playing this like home and away games or anything. It's, it's it's bizarre that they represent a country to me. I think. Yeah. Mm. It it's just I don't know. I guess it's a way for people to get attached to players or get excited yeah. about them. But yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess it's it's probably not the case that Wimbledon's going to change their opinion there. So I guess it'll just be an exhibition, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Federer will come back for it now. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a, that'd be a funny outcome. Now that it's an exhibition, all the pressure's off. You're just like, right. oh, yeah, I'll come for a hit. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's all he does. In it. Well, that's not true. He, so, you know, Federer, I don't think we talked about this at all because we barely talked, but like uh, Federer signed up for um, the, his home tournament, right? In, uh, oh, that's right. In Switzerland. Um, yeah, Basel is In it? Basel, yeah, yeah, Basel is the one. Yep. So, that's right. I don't know if that's going to be his swan song. He's going to play Labor Cup. He's going to play Basel. I guess, you know, he's feeling spry. Yeah. Labor Cup, Labor, Labor Cup always felt to me like that's going to be his retirement. But now that he's, yeah. I guess maybe he wants to do it in, in his hometown as well, where he started, where he was the ball kid and have his whole little story. Maybe he'll be the ball kid for the final after he loses in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> who's he, who's going to beat him in the first? Come on. They're going to stack no, no, the draw for him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. That'd be funny if they stack the draw really hard. Yeah. No, but I hope he has. I hope I hope he wins. The, I hope he wins that tournament, Basel. That would be great. Like for sure. Know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I hope he. I still maintain hope that he'll come back and play more than that. But yeah, you know, until he says otherwise, I do think these guys just love playing so much. I mean, you know, this whole thing yeah. with Rafa's foot. It's like, like he has a very serious, painful foot condition that he's been managing for years, and it's like he just will do whatever it takes to get out there and it's sort of insane know. isn't it really oh yeah he's a maniac i mean yeah I, I don't know if it should be applauded or not i mean but he's deaf you can't deny that he's tough like that he's and then he oh, loves yeah. it he just lives for the competition and i think all three of those guys will just drag themselves out until they are broken you know yeah even past that apparently yeah even past that i don't know it's like what happened with um del potro this year was kind of sad you know like the way he bowed yeah. out Cause it was, it was similar where it was like, ah, oh, like cool. Del Potro is coming back. Like I never was a big fan, but I was like, I could get hype for this. And then he, mm. but he was just like a walking shell and got obliterated. So I, that was really sad that match. Yeah. I hope that's not the way it is for, for fed in Basel, like losing to like Yuri Lehechka or something. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, That'd actually yeah. be fine. Cause he's been playing well, but it, it was someone even worse than that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just was picking a random player. No, yeah, yeah. Um, who would be embarrassing for Federer to lose to in his going away match? Jordan like... Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good one for sure. It's got to be somebody like vaguely hateable, you know, but like not like a proper villain. You know, mm. I don't know. I'm looking through the draw. Yeah. Yeah, oh, same. Like bo- Bublik or something. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh-huh. when I when I get to see Andy Murray's like quote unquote retirement match at the Australian Open, mm. uh, he was he played against um, Roberto Batista Agu, mm. who's I guess not in this draw. He must be hurt. Um, and like everybody was mentioned, you know, like, people were like, "This is the perfect going away. Like this is exactly the guy that Murray should play and lose to." Cause he's just such a pro and he'd went out there and tried his fucking hardest and beat Murray, you know, like he wasn't yeah. going to like get cowed by the moment. And he was just, just a dude, you know, he stood up yeah. and played the right way. So like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they were like, like they're a- <laughs> both just like super defensive baseliners as well. It was, the, it was actually the perfect matchup. Yeah. I'm just imagining, you know, a guy like um Bublik, you know, like winning the match on an underarm serve. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, oh yeah, nah. I love that. Love hate that. <laughs> yeah, same. Who's your uh what's your what's your quick thought on the women's side? Is it is it just Fiontek and we should not even bother like playing the matches or what? <laughs> <laughs> Let me just look at the bottom half again. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's Fiontech that easily, but who's coming up on the other side? Who's going to be in the final there? Yeah, everybody seems like they've had, they've taken bad losses. You know, I mean, the thing about the women's game is that every, it seems like almost every slam you get a surprise or two. So I feel like trying to pick this is foolish. Like, could it be Belinda Bencic? Could it be Coco Goff? Mm. Could it be Serana Serste? Like, I feel like you could just have somebody out of nowhere. Could it be Andreescu all of a sudden again? Uh, mm. You know, like, I feel like the safe picks are just never really that safe in the women's game. But uh, Sviantek has been completely outrageous. I mean, she's dropped yeah. like two sets in the last three months or something. It's, <laughs> it's insane. It, it's, it's insane. Messed up. I didn't really, you know, because I've been following her for a couple of years and I've, I've always liked watching her play and stuff, but I didn't, I did not expect that she would just rise to the top and then just dominate like this. So I was like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. Especially, I mean, she looked amazing when she won the French, but then, you know, she kind of fell to earth a little bit mm. and she was a good, you know, really solid player, but she would take those losses. And right now mm. it's like nobody's even in her category. So. I know. I'm looking down the drawer, and, and it's everyone is such a huge step back. Then I'm like, who would even be in a final with her? I just can't p- even picture anyone matching up against her at this point. Yeah, Jabir would Jabir, be great to yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, I would love to see that. I mean, you know, somebody is going to have to get hot, you know, and like win some tough mm. matches. So I think it's not like I mean, you know, anybody can be beaten, especially best of three. So yeah, um, but it's not going to be Krajik of a. Yeah, just feels like like Sakari. I know you're a big Sakari fan too. She's just like I'd have no faith. Yeah, just don't have any faith anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, yeah, it's sad, but I just I can't see her doing it. Yeah, I hope she proves this wrong. But um, yeah, the way she did you see that match? She lost to Jabir. No, she was up five love in the second. Oof. Yeah, that's a collapse. That's just a mental collapse. Totally it's it's like hard to really watch that too it's like yeah yeah and it, and it must be harder for her who clearly takes yeah, these things yeah. um pretty rough especially to back off the, the next tournament yeah so uh tell me about this radical political change that you're experiencing in australia man okay yeah well, i wouldn't go that far <laughs> but it's definitely a good day because um Finally, Scott Morrison, who is, you know, he rules for the elite, very, you know, conservative Liberal Party guy, doesn't care about poor people, doesn't care about refugees, just a horrible, nasty government it's been. Um, yeah, it's, they, they got voted out, like decimated. They, they got decimated. They're, they're looking like they'll get like, I don't know, 50 nine seats or 60 seats or something like that and they had maybe over 76 seats anyway they lost a lot of seats and labor is going to be their government and the greens which is you know it's not that much better than 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 the conservatives liberals but yeah they're going to give money to aged care and raise the minimum wage a bit and they do uh, they are connected to the trade union movement but I think the other really big story is that the Greens, for the first time, have got more than one seat in the parliament. They look like they might get three or even four seats. Hmm. And um, there was a swing towards them in the vote thing. They normally get eight, ten percent of the vote, and they got maybe twelve percent of them. Well, that is uh, that's a change, you know, and it's it's a little surprising, you know, especially given the kind of the rightward pull that seems to be continuing in the U.S. But I guess these things tend to have swings. Wait, why do you, what do you attribute it to? you think it was like kind of COVID policy, a little bit of reaction to that, the handling? Yeah, um, he was, he's really hated, Morrison, and there, there was a lot of mismanagement around COVID. And a refusal to act on climate change is a big one, actually. Because um, there's a bunch of independents who have received swings from the government um, because the independents have taken up climate change and the government has refused. And this is at a time where we've had bushfires and floods 
that are clearly climate change related and everyone's suffering and there's been no you know no change no acknowledgement no how do we people are dying and suffering and how do we solve these problems and refusal to act so i think that's a big part of it as well yeah right um so who's who's going to be the new pm is there is that even known at this point yeah it's going to be anthony albanese who's um he, li- he, he lives in Maricol. He's um, where, where you lived, Sydney, briefly. Oh, yeah. um, um, and he, does he play at the, uh, the Maricol Tennis Club? He does actually play at the Maricol Tennis Club. I saw, I saw him there the other day. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. I, I wanted to say something to him. Like, be better on a bunch of shit that I just imagined. But he is definitely better than Morrison. And he, can't, and he um, grew up with his mum and there's this narrative of like grew up in public housing and um, you know his mum's Italian and his parents are Italian so like he experienced racism and racism and um, relative poverty. Local, local boy makes good is what the local rags made. Yeah right, that's pretty cool. He's your homeboy. Yeah, he's our homeboy, and he he used to be a little more radical, but he's he's really con- you know as is the case in all in most um, Western countries, and these days I think like you can't rise to the top unless you drop all your radical politics and sort of toe the line. Well, that's that's at least how you become leader of the Labour Party. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's sort of how yeah these democratic institutions tend to function. You have to you have to be able to get elected. So if your opinions are still kind of on the fringe, yeah, I don't know. It's better than better than somebody who's just kind of like a career politician who's always kind of saying the things necessary to get elected. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing. We were all celebrating. Um, I was at a party last night with mm. a bunch of socialists and friends and yeah we were cheering <laughs> it was it was almost deja vu because at the very beginning of the night it looked like inexplicably against all the polling the conservatives might get back in again and that's the same thing happened to us in 2019 when um no, i was there oh yeah <laughs> yeah i i got i got to live through one of those like horrible election parties that we, you know reminded me very much of when trump got in here mm. and just that sink feeling you know it was, it was awful i was like oh god like everybody was so optimistic at the beginning of the night and then oh, it got dark it became a funeral nice yeah. to have some good news for a change yeah thanks dave um, i'm really happy to we've been on a little bit of a of a hiatus yeah a little bit a little bit of a dirt hiatus um but i have consulted the french open drawers excellent and i picked a few um favorites yeah i guess that you know on the women's side of the draw um it kind of feels like we have Iga Sviantek and then there's like a competition to see who loses to her in the final um <laughs> and you know um one thing al and i were noticing when we kind of went through things yesterday was that like Sviantek's half of the draw really feels light you know and like both both the men's and women's draws feel very top heavy like one side is super stacked yeah but it happens to be the case that the overwhelming favorite on the women's side is kind of in the weaker half i mean that's not to say there aren't people there who could beat her but um yeah that's kind of my my broad take what do you what do you think about sviantek and the the women's tournament um well, obviously, she's the form player. Like, how many matches since she won in a row? 20 something, 24 or something, 27. I think it's, is it six tournaments now? Five tournaments that Five she's tournaments won? Five tournaments in a row yeah, that she's won. I think she's dropped two sets oh my gosh. in that period of time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. It, yeah, I read like something about like the only person who could beat. Schwantek is retired now and and the only person who could beat um Alcaraz is injured like um uh, uh yeah I don't know 
she's <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy um because uh, yeah ash body was so dominant and we we're like but then shwantex just ever since that she body retired shwantex um gone even on an even crazier path of dominance yeah i i can't recall really uh any kind of comparison you know i think uh, people have been talking about uh one of novak's best seasons where he kind of he started on that kind of role you know and and basically was winning everything um now she hasn't won a slam since the french a few years ago you know she did she did lose in the australian open and who was the last person to beat Sviantek? do you know by any chance I feel like, you know, I'm looking at, at her draw. Like, I think she potentially plays Samsonova in the third. And I think Samsonova is one play is a player who took a set off of her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then she gets Halep potentially, um, if things go to form. And, uh, I think Shviantek handled Halep pretty easily on the clay this year, but, um, you know, Halep's a former champion and has shown some good form. Um, but yeah, it's like, it feels like a reach, you know, it feels like, uh, I mean, in my draw, I have her like playing, you know, Jessica Pagula, maybe Dasha Kasakina or Paula Bedosa, if she can get her act together. But it seems like every, it's not even just that she's so dominant. It feels like all these other contenders have, have just shown real, you know, like downside. They've, they've taken really tough losses, surprising losses. Like they're not kind of you know, fulfilling the potential, you know, I mean, people are even talking about Radu Kanu as if she can go on a run here. And yet she really hasn't shown any kind of form like that recently, or, you know, Andreescu. I mean, she, she definitely has looked, she looked pretty good coming back, but she's still, you know, she lost to Sviantek. She she got Sviantek into a tiebreaker and then lost the next set six love. So. Yeah. Everyone's got a downside except Sviantek. I agree. Like, <laughs> yeah. Ange has been playing well, like won Madrid, I think, and then got to the final of Rome, where she got obliterated by Schwantek. <laughs> yeah, she really, like watching that match, it, it felt like watching players on, you know, like on different levels. Like it was like major versus minor league. Yeah. And Jaber, yeah, Jaber had, is, was the, is the, definitely the second most informed player, probably had the best overall clay season uh you know has had some huge wins obviously like winning that that title in madrid that's the biggest title of her career so she you know she's a definitely a popular pick to to get to the final to play her but it's uh it's hard to see you know and i, I also just feel like the women's side of these slams like have has produced a lot more surprises in recent years you know because there has been that kind of parody so yeah. um you know Who's going to be the person to kind of step up out of nowhere? Like I, I have Anisimova going to the the final against Sviantek. I feel like she's had really, you know, she got to the semis here before, um, but I don't feel like you know she could lose, you know, almost in any round. You know, you could definitely lose in the first round to Osaka. Oh yeah, that's definitely not a cakewalk. There's sort of this assumption that like, well, Anisimova is just better on clay and Osaka hasn't really been playing much and hasn't been that good. So, but yeah, that's, that's about as tough of a first rounder as, as you can draw. Mm. And speaking of um, surprises uh, at the French, one of those is Kujikova. Um, and who won, is it two years ago now? Or was it last year? Is she the defending champ? She's the defending champion, and she hasn't yeah. played a match on clay, I don't think, unless she played a warm-up this week, and I missed it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, right, so the defending champ, not, you know, not in form. And, yeah, like, if you look at that other side of the draw, that's the one everybody's freaking out about because there's all these, you know, all these great players over there because you do have Osaka and Andreescu and Radu Kanu, these, these slam winners, um, 
you know, Muguruza, who's been terrible. Um, Azarenka's over there. Sloane Stevens has been to the final. I mean, that's, you know, we, we, there was an episode where we kind of like went through the, the list of the top women's players and so many of them have at least gotten to the semi, like a, the semis or, or final of a slam. So, but it does feel like there's so much more of that, you know, that level of player um, yeah. on the other side. Yeah, Sakari's on that side as well. Yeah, Al and I were kind of lamenting like Sakari's sort of mental wall. I don't know. I don't know what the right word for it is. Did you do you see that match that she lost to Jabir when she was up five love in the second? No. Yeah. Five love was, in the second. Yeah. Yeah. And a set. Uh, you know. And oh then, my gosh. <laughs> and then just basically lost like twelve of the next thirteen or fourteen games. I mean, she really. We just, you know, we're just saying like we've lost the faith really. And it's it's hard because it sort of seems like she has as well. Um, as much as we enjoy watching her play and hope that she can kind of put it together, it just seems like that there's a barrier that um, she, she's having trouble getting through. Mental, a mental barrier? Yeah, mental barrier. Yeah, like it's, it's not about her skill level or her competitiveness, you know, it's... It's just that she seems to break down when the when things are really on. Like she can get super wild, and and she can't like rein it in. And uh, you know she she had that long standing problem where she could not win a semifinal, and um, like her record in semifinals at the tour level is pretty dismal. And uh, she did break through that last year, but it just it just seems like that hasn't the problem hasn't been solved. And you know, again, could be totally. I would not be shocked for her to find herself back in the semis or the final, but to, to win it, to like win against Shriantek in form, uh, it's hard to see. Dave, I want to throw a name at you. Um, that's not one of these big players mm. like, like Kasaka or Sakari or Shriantek. Um, yeah. Uh, Wait, can I get, can I guess the name? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So is it, Andrian Jafitrimo? How do you read my mind? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I brought that up. <laughs> it just like it seems like it's a it's like an error. Like there, like two names were merged or something. I, yeah, and I'm picking her to to beat uh, Pliskova. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do be. I mean, there's two reasons. One is her name, and the other is that Pliskova has just been kind of awful lately. Okay, well, she's a wild card. <laughs> Tessa Andrianja Fitrimo. Andrianja Fitrimo. She's a uh, she's received a wild card, and she's had um, a couple of first round losses at Roland Garros, 2017 and 2016. She's also lost in the first round four other times in doubles. She's never hmm. been past the first round at the French Open. And the only reason she's got to play first round matches is through the wild cards. Yeah, French wild card. Uh, yeah. You see that crazy stat from um, uh, the tennis podcast about um, French qualifiers? So obviously, you know, they get some wild cards into the main draw and they do have some top ranked players that make the main draw on their own merit but regarding the qualifying tournament like that's the next tier of players that aren't good enough to get a aren't good enough to get a wild card or make it in on their own merit and right and so you know the french federation gives them or the tournament gives them um gives them wild cards into qualifying um, and I suppose then, yeah, I suppose there might, there may be some players that their ranking gets them into qualifying too. And they, and they weren't, there's maybe a sweet spot where you couldn't get in, you, you weren't on the radar for a wild card, but your ranking's good enough to get you into the qualifying tournament. Um, anyway, so Jeffrey Blancano, who beat Liam Brody, is the only French player to make it through qualifying for the men, the other 26 all lost. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're, they're fodder. Yeah. Assuming there's a mixture of wild cards that didn't have the ranking to get into the tournament. 
as well into the qualifying tournament and they were just not good enough. But even more shocking is no French woman has qualified for 16 consecutive years. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, we've talked about the the like the way that wild cards kind of, you know, there's there's sort of an injustice in it because it allows the home tournaments and, you know, with the slams, there's only four of them. So there's four nations that get to kind of, you know, pack the draws full of their own players. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking main draw. I mean, in qualifying, it does feel like actually if they're just putting like low ranked, you know, struggling borderline pros into the into the mix, that's actually probably to the benefit of those players ranked around 100 to 150 in the world. The ones who are not getting automatic direct entry and have to kind of work their way through that tournament it's like they're just they're just like it's like going in there and having to to beat a bunch of juniors or something so yeah i do like i think one one of the things i i love about printing out the draw and actually filling it out which i only started doing at the australian open this year i never really did that before is that it gets you to like zero in on these random matches that you wouldn't notice otherwise and like Mm -hmm. learn about these players Mm -hmm. like um uh, Andrian Jafitrimo, yeah, I, I've never heard of her, but I figured that there must be something there if she's getting wild cards directly into the into the main draw. So, yeah, and now I'm curious. She's 142 in the world, so she's she's not far off direct qualification. She's close, mm. and and she's only she's, how young is she? I get, I'm guessing perhaps born in 98, so like 24. Okay. Not, not exactly a fresh face on the tour, but still on the younger side. Yeah, um, she's hanging around, like you know, and that's that's the advantage of being in a country that hosts the tournament. You hang yeah. around, and you can still good enough to get a wild card and get the extra experience. And then one day you you get might get lucky, or you might break through with a with a good victory that gives you the confidence to know that you can match it with the best. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly getting into that first round is is an actual gift, you know, financially. It's it's like it's some real money. And if she did manage to defeat, you know, the 8 seed Pliskova, um which is, you know, maybe not the best draw as a wild card, she could have been drawn against another qualifier or wild card or low rank player. Yeah, but like that would be a a tremendous win for her, you know. Like it'd be enough money to, you know, to like kind of support her on the tour for you know a year or so. It would get her a lot of publicity. Like you know, it's it's like something worth rooting for, you know, for these these kind of players who are struggling to kind of get a, get a hold on the tour. You know, it's conceivable that if she won that first round, Andrea and would play. Leolia Jean Jean, another another French wildcard. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great name. I I kind of skipped over her because I saw she's up against uh, Paris Diaz, who's yeah. I think a pretty pretty decent clay quarter. Yeah, or maybe maybe I just assumed that because she's Spanish, but I think she's she's winning matches on tour on clay. So, but yeah, Jean Jean Andrian Jafitrimo uh, would be would be something. Yeah, I, I, that's the matchup I'm hoping, hoping for. Wild Jean Jean <laughs> and Wild Andrian Jafitrimo. Um, and and Jean Jean's she's been around. She's born in '95, so she's even older. She makes her what 29 or something, 27. She's won in that time, so she's been been around for a while, and she's won forty five thousand dollars. Wow. That is not enough, and yet she's she's still keeping on. So you know, good honor. Um, yeah, I'll be rooting for Jean Jean as well. Against my draw. Against Paris Diaz. Against Paris Diaz. There's some 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 high drama in the men's side as well. I mean, obviously the big story, the big focus is that. Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, collision course for a quarterfinal matchup. You've got Carlos Alcaraz on the other side of that half. And basically everybody thinks it's going to be one of those three to come through for 
good reason. Um, but then on the other side, you know, it, it, it's incredibly open. I mean, Tsitsipas is the clear favorite. It's, it's actually quite a bit like last year's draw where people said, yeah, like maybe, maybe Casper Ruud can challenge Tsitsipas, but really he should, he quote unquote should make the final there. Um, and, um, but yeah, they, they, they've got to play him. Oh, and, and darkness is, uh, is slotted in, in, in that other quarter spot, um, potentially against Alcaraz, although I don't think he'll get there. So what's your, what's your take on, uh, on the half of doom start there? Well, I, I, I feel sorry for Rafa that he, you know, has to play Djokovic in the quarters. Oh, is it Djokovic in the quarters or or yeah. Alcaraz in the quarters? Yeah, it'd be Djokovic in the quarters. Yeah, right. I feel like, you know, if he's going to win a 14, would it be 14 French Opens if he wins this one? Yeah. I just I like I like how he keeps winning them. And I just want that run <laughs> to continue forever um, kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't think, I think he needs all the help he's going to, he can get with the injury. And facing Djokovic uh, a little too early um, isn't is not the best for him. But you know he is rougher, so we'll see. He recently said he's, that he's not the best player on clay anymore. Who's he referring to? Himself. Or who? Or who is he referring to? I don't know if he was thinking of anyone specific, but I was, I was sort of more. I didn't read the whole article, but I it sounded to me like. Um, he just doesn't consider himself the best on clay anymore. He just knows uh, he's not. He doesn't have the standard that you could be considered the best. Um, maybe he yeah. still can be the the best on any given day, but not like the best. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think you know. I mean, I think Rafa is like has is very well practiced in the uh, the you know those the, the like expression of humility you know like he he'll yeah you know like he he says the right thing to not talk himself up like he doesn't he's never going to be somebody who's like yeah i'm that i'm the top dog like when is somebody going to finally challenge me and beat me actually like when i'm not hurt you know um and yeah i i was saying to al like i hope he's healthy i i certainly don't I, I would not be surprised if he got on a roll and the foot was not an issue. Um and I wanna cause I wanna see that Djokovic Rafa match when they're both geared up, you know. Um because I, I still think Novak can beat him, like given the way Novak's form has started to come together, I think. Uh I think that could be another cracker of a match. So um and I want to see Novak play Alcaraz again. They had a wild, intense match. Uh I can't remember if that was Madrid. Um, yeah, I think it was Madrid. And, you know, Novak was right there with him. So um, Where are it'll they be interesting projected? to see that in best five. They'd be in the semifinal. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. That's a, it's a stacked top half, isn't it? Totally stacked. Yep. Yep. I have uh, Davidovich Fakina upsetting Zverev in the third round. Good, um, good. If Offner doesn't get him in the first round, or um, or Livevich or Bias in the second round, Bias could be uh could be tricky for him. Bias is really good on clay. He's like the new Diego Schwartzman, hmm. tiny guy, hmm. super scrappy. Yeah, gets everything in play. What about Cam Norrie? Just won a tournament on clay. Yeah, I see a pretty easy um fourth round path for him. He's got Kubler or. Kudla. <laughs> <laughs> He's got coobs or coods in the in the second half. Yeah. Um, he's going to have a coo, coo running uh, through to the third. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I, I, I apologize to our listeners. Um, yeah, Cam Nori, like he and he won a set off of Alcaraz not that long ago on clay. Yeah. Um, I think that that could be a tough fourth rounder um for for Alcaraz I mean Alcaraz also might have Kokonakis in the second and uh Korda in the third and Korda is the one player who actually beat him on clay this spring so um 
I, it's hard to see Corda beating him best of five. And yeah, I mean, it, I can't pick against Alcaraz in this in this section. I think he's going to go to the semi. But um, yeah, those would be some tough matches. And if it is Fakina or Zverev, I do think both of those guys could beat him. Taylor Fritz is also in that part of the draw. So it's not it's not like he has a he has a cakewalk. Like he's definitely got some some tough customers he's going to come up against. Yeah. Um, you might play Gasquet in the third round, actually. Oh, yeah. get You see Gasquet beat Medvedev the other day? Yeah. I mean, it was Medvedev's first match back um, after an injury. But, yeah, Gasquet's playing well. He put together some good matches. Got to the semis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what I think will be a five-set war? And they're probably not that? very worth watching, but um, except if you're a tennis purist, is um, <laughs> Pablo Andujar versus Marco Cicchinato. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's a good call. That's a really good deep cut. I like that. Cicchinato, a one-time semifinalist. Yeah, at the French. A clay a clay quarter through and through, and so is Andujar, and they both they both veterans and. You don't see them doing anything good, but you do see them in this tournament. I don't, but I do see them pushing each other to five sets, and then, yeah. uh, you know, and then being exhausted and losing in the second round. Whoever wins, yeah. Um, I love that the French Open starts on Sunday. By the way, like I get to actually flip it on tomorrow, day off work. You know, just have it running all day. Uh, it's a subtle delight to this particular event. It's because the, the grounds are so small, they can only fit so many matches. But That's right. Yeah, it's cool. It's like, you get that extra day. And with the first round, you know, it's impossible to obviously pay attention to everything. So, um, Dave, do all the other tournaments start on a Monday? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, certainly the slams all start on Mondays. Okay. So, you know, you can't, you can't get Chick-fil-A tomorrow but you can watch the French Open. Why can't you get Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? Um, because it's like owned by some devout Christian conservatives and they close shop on Sunday so they can, uh, you know, go go worship. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, like, certainly giving all of their employees a day off is not something I'm ever going to complain about, whatever the reason. I think that's not so bad but they're also an organization that like kind of actively works against uh women's right to choose oh no so definitely not the um the chicken sandwich you want to eat if you're um you support women's rights in my opinion no um it's a good sandwich though i'm never buying one i refuse all right yeah understandable you know you got to vote with your wallet sometimes (laughs) well it's been a pleasure my friend and uh let's do this again uh during the fortnight yeah i'd love to i'd love to catch up um, over the french open period all right sounds good the tennis tragic thanks you for listening all correspondence and feedback can be directed to tennis tragic pod at gmail.com and our Instagram is at Tennis Tragic Pod. <laughs>